0: Welcome to History and Technicolor. And this week we've got Wolf, me, and we've got a guest. Because weirdly enough, Wolf and I decided we needed somebody here who knew what they were talking about. And so we've got Glenn. Say hello, Glenn. <laughs>
1: How are you guys doing? Thank you for having me on.
0: No, uh, it was a pleasure. It was a pleasure. Uh, or hopefully it's going to be a pleasure anyway. It might be rubbish, yeah, but I'm sure it'll be rich. David,
2: is bad. <laughs> anyone other than you is a pleasure.
0: <laughs> You're a very rude man. Okay, Glenn, we invited you on because you know all about Robin Hood. And in fact, I think we had a chat um, some time ago. So what what we're going to do here, uh, folks, is I'm going to introduce and then we're going to go through three movies. So each one of us has picked a movie. And the idea here is that, as we did with The Witch, we're going to look at the myth around Robin Hood. And we're going to think about how the films relate to those myths and whether they're good movies and which is the best. And then we're going to decide which is most faithful to the myth and which is the best movie. And then at the end, we've got some challenges. And I'm going to tell you the challenges right now so that as you're listening to us burble away, you can think about these questions, okay? And when we get to the answers at the end, you can shout them out. We won't hear you, of course, because this is a podcast, but you can do that. okay? So, one question is Who would you cast as Robin Hood? Okay, that's Glenn's question. Wolf's question was If you made a new Robin Hood production, which element or elements of the myth are absolutely vital for you to consider it a worthwhile Robin Hood adaptation? As normal, Wolf's question is the most complicated. And then my question was Excluding the man himself, don't quite know what I meant by that. Which character in the Robin stories would you be? So, uh, ro- yeah, not you meant being don't it. include Robin. Don't include Robin.
1: Yeah. Okay. Because everybody would be like, I'm Robin, obviously. Yeah.
0: absolutely, yes. If Either that or they would be Spartacus. Okay, so we're going to start off with Glenn telling us something about the background and the myth. Glenn, over to you.
1: Uh, so, yeah, quick mythology overview of Robin Hood. Um, Robin Hood has always been a uh, rebel... That's in the north of England. It's never moved around. Now, the forest has moved from Barnsdale to Sherwood over time. But the basic premise of it is that he is uh, fighting against usually a a tyrannical regime, which is why um, in the earlier legends it's Edward II, because a lot of people had a problem with Edward II, even though his only real crime was ineptitude. Uh, Since then, because Richard the Lionhearted became such a popular figure, it has moved to where he was a steadfast servant of Richard the Lionhearted, and he was fighting against uh, John, who was also a bit of an inept person. Uh, Robin (laughs) has, he's typically displayed or more commonly displayed as a yeoman if you were to look at everything historically uh if you're just doing 20th and 19th century stories of robin then he's almost always nobility
0: added in the 20th i was wondering when that came in
1: yeah as the story got older it, it became more important for authors apparently to to feel that they needed to make his sacrifice greater in leading these these men against you know a tyrannical no, regime interesting. Right. So if he has more to lose, then it, it's not, it's a better story, essentially.
2: And Glenn, just out of interest from the little bit of reading I've been doing, is it correct that he didn't always rob from the rich and give to the poor until sometime later in the myth?
1: No, actually, that is uh, a very 20th century adaptation. Um, I have been... As far as I know, Errol Flynn's movie might be the first one to really do it, but before that it was done as a play. But it, it definitely came about in, like, the late 20s, uh, early 30s, during the Depression.
0: it's oh, really interesting. So previously, he was just a bad man.
1: Well, previously, it was usually done, actually, um, it, it was. it's like King Arthur's legend. You know, if you read the original King Arthur, he's just a psychopath. Right. But he's our psychopath. And that's kind of Robin, yeah, to a degree. Although more often than what you might believe, Robin Hood is a comedy of he's an inept moron, but the sheriff is slightly more of an inept moron. Interesting. Um, Otherwise, though, the frequent trend is actually that he's, you know, uh, the last vestiges of Saxon nobility or you know uh, Anglo-Danish nobility against a uh, Norman regime.
0: How interesting. So when was that theme? Because, of course, Walter Scott produced that theme, didn't he? But was that theme there before Walter?
1: That would go back to the... um, uh, Basically, that, that would go back until they started writing plays in the Elizabethan age about him, that that's kind of... I mean, they might have changed Norman to whatever, but that was kind of how they dealt with what... In the North, they never really enjoyed being ruled from London, so that was kind of how they dealt with it, was that Robin was... Whoever was their oppressor at that time, Robin was fighting against them.
0: Very interesting. I did not know that. Uh, because, of course, one of the myths that is parallel, as I understand it, is something is the myth of Eustace the monk. And I'd already sort of understood that Eustace the monk was different from Robin because Eustace is actually quite a violent man who, in the end of the story, gets his comeuppance from the forces of the law. This is a, um, it's a northern French... Mm -hmm. Uh, Myth and his historical figure is Eustace. Um, And I'd always understood that Robin was basically always a a good man.
1: Well, yeah, but you have to remember, you know, the the definition of good man changes over time. I mean, you know, example for Americans, George Washington's a good man, but he owned slaves, so he wasn't.
0: Yeah, but in Uh the sense that at the time, um, or in the story, he's a goodie, he's on our
1: side. He, I would say it'd be better to describe him more often as sympathetic. All right. Okay. You know, uh, normally when he becomes outlawed, it's because, uh, either a clergyman was about to rape his sister's wife and he kills said clergyman. That is the most common depiction of Robin becoming outlawed. Okay. Um, and, and then from there, he kind of wages his one man guerrilla war and he slowly gains followers. I mean, um. What uh, Adam Adam Gord I think the name is right was the outlaw legend that or fable that actually predates Robin Hood right and and you know that that's where a lot of the the confusion comes from is because we don't know of Robin Hood that has survived what was originally established as the Robin Hood myth and what was adapted because the other one has basically been forgotten. Right, and understood. some depictions, they, they just kind of say that Robin met up with him and took over his gang.
0: Right. And you were saying just before we uh, started that he might be traced all the way back to Harrowood the Wake now, is that right?
1: Yeah. Uh, so like I was saying before we started, they didn't, you know, the first written Robin Hood is in the, you know, I think it's the 11th century, early 11th century. And that's the first historical time we know somebody wrote down the story. Well, presumably, if somebody took the time to write it, that means that it was an oral legend prior to that because nobody ever had an original thought. That's so So true. It's certainly true of this program. Right, yeah. Speak for yourself. Um, And then you get left to answer the question, so, okay, when did this begin? And then uh, you end up with, again, uh, past outlaw fables like Adam. Um, And, anyways, one uh, academic paper, I think it was done out of Kent State of Ohio, Traced it from, you know, saying that it was most likely uh, from Hereward, who was uh, a Mercian folktale, basically, but. East Anglian, kind of, surely. Oh, I thought it was Mercia.
0: Okay, he was the Isle of Ely, wasn't he, Hereward? Anyway, sorry, keep going.
1: Yeah, it, Anyways, but yeah, that's where they traced it back to because Hereward was essentially a, an anti Norman. tale to get behind and that would be about the time that the north would also have a story that was anti-Norman because as you may well know William the Conqueror was not pleasant in the north of England
0: he was not harrying in the north
1: there's also you know the same theory though that would have gone back to the Danish occupation of Northumbria but As far as we know, the Danish occupation of Northumbria was not that violent. I mean, it was, but it was no more violent than any other kind of settlement slash light war of that time would have been. It was just raiding. They assimilated more than they conquered as to where, you know, Billy was like, I'm going to burn and kill everybody.
0: Okay.
2: So just to clarify, so that for me and everyone else, do historians think that there was ever an original person that maybe this myth traces back to or is it entirely fictional and then just passed on and elaborated through oral history and adaptations rewrites theatrical productions etc
1: so the best way to answer that would be to say was there a robin hood or a robert hode or whatever probably yes As far as what we can safely say was from him and what has been, you know, fabricated, no way to tell to the point where you can say everything in the Robin Hood legend and myth is exactly that. Whatever grain of truth there was has been long since forgotten and coded and we'll never be able to find it. So basically look at it like King Arthur. Like we assume there was somebody or somebodies like King Arthur But we have no idea who or what exactly they did. And it's the same with Robin Hood, really.
0: Okay, so I had a, I put together a tropometer. Okay. A meter of tropes. Okay. Uh, And I had these down against which we can measure our films. So arrows. Is that always a trope?
1: Okay. The the archery is the, the very first. thing uh, honestly what's weird is when they started making him a swordsman that that angered a lot of people at the yes. time because he was supposed to be a yeoman
0: yes okay uh rich versus poor so we've found that's a variable one saxon versus norman we've found that's a bit more complicated but that's kind of there anti-clerical and it sounds like that was a trope originally or it has been
1: yeah, that's the whole reason, actually, for Friar Tuck's induction into the story, is to show the fat clergyman that's kind of, uh, you know, bumbling, silly, comic relief. Right, OK. Uh,
0: nobleman. so that's, I, Robin Hood being a nobleman, actually that's a more recent acquisition, you're saying, but that was a trope. Merry men, are the men always merry?
1: Well... Little John's the one that proclaims them merry men, but that, that's that been part of the story for centuries now.
0: Excellent. A jolly hero, normally light-hearted. Uh, that that would definitely be
1: more of a 20th century trope.
0: Okey-doke. So this
2: shocked me slightly. I was reading about the, the ballad about uh, the guy of Gisborne, and mm-hmm. after Robin defeats him, he decapitates him... Slashes the remains of the the head up so that no one could recognize him, and then dresses up, I think, as the guy, and then pretends that he's killed Robin Hood to sneak into the castle. A bit bloodthirsty. I think he's like on a pike, and I was right. I was like, this, isn't
1: Robin. this never happened in the <laughs> Disney version. <laughs> Is this? Yes. I think that's the one too, where he um, he assassinates uh, another nobleman and, and kidnaps a noble lady, isn't it?
0: Oh, I'm not sure. But that sounds like the Robin Hood we don't know. Yeah, we don't know, yeah. Yeah. And then the last trope I had was there's always a Sheriff of Nottingham or a Guy of Gisborne type um,
1: opponent. Yes, that would be. That that goes back to the beginning.
2: Any other tropes I should have listed? Just to check. So are we saying that it takes a long time before. I know that King John comes in as a villain kind of later on, but was there always a king who was oppressing. Uh, the country at the time even if the main villain was still the sheriff of nottingham etc
1: um it depends on the format that the stories introduced because literature was so much shorter for so long oftentimes it's very much like okay my problem is the sheriff or it's this clergyman but when they would do more of a broad overview so like when plays and you know longer format storytelling really came into style There would at the very least be the mention of the king. Okay. But because that took maybe two or three centuries, that's why we're kind of left guessing that uh, the Robin Hood legend originated during the reign of Edward II.
0: OK, this is great. We have now taken three times more time than we said we were going to take, so... No, it's important. This is really... It's a this good is start. is really important, but, you know, I don't want people to, you know, feel they have to open a vein when they're listening to the podcast. Uh, right, because that's a bad thing. OK, brilliant. Thank you very much, Glenn. Now, the first movie, Wolf. The first movie. OK, so a point that I wanted to make to begin
2: with, and I haven't verified this, but I would imagine that it is accurate, is that there have been... 112 movies, at least, about
0: Robin Hood (laughs) since 1912. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I looked it up on Wikipedia. (laughs) I looked it up on Wikipedia too, and it's enormous. It's absurd. The amount of different variations that keep happening. There's a
2: lot of interesting stuff out there with Robin Hood, and I think the key point about this is that we're only going to touch on a few movies, but it's being continually adapted and is going to be for presumably forever, uh, as we kind of want to retell the story over and over again for new audiences. So, I thought I would begin with The Adventures of Robin Hood. I've selected this film because I believe that it sets the benchmark for all Robin Hood adaptations. It's the most influential and thus potentially the version that most adds to the myth, or at least cements it in our understanding. It also helps that it's very fun and a genuine landmark in Hollywood cinema. So, The Adventures of Robin Hood was made in 1938. It was a star vehicle for the very successful Errol Flynn. Its director, the incredible and very prolific Michael Curtis, had previously had great success for the studio with Flynn in Captain Blood and The Charge of the Light Brigade. He made hundreds of other films over his career, including Casablanca, White Christmas, and Mildred Pierce. Uh, Olivier de Havilland was also the fellow star of Captain Blood, and was a regular collaborator who combined to make this a box office draw. There was already a Robin Hood feature, uh, which was kind of in audiences' minds, and that had been made in 1922. It was a silent film starring Douglas Fairbanks, and it had done pretty well. The 1922 version was the first motion picture to have a Hollywood premiere, which took place at Grauman's Chinese Theatre. But this new version of the 1938 one would quickly eclipse it. And at the time, it was reported to be the most expensive film Warner Brothers had ever made.
1: Story-wise... It was over $2 million in budget, wasn't it?
2: I think so, yeah. And you can tell. You can really tell. Uh, Story-wise, the year is 1191. Richard the Lionheart is in the Holy Lands and then gets imprisoned by Leopold of Austria. He leaves his friend Longchamps as regent, but Prince John is obviously plotting to take the throne with the help of Sir Guy of Gisborne and a series of norman barons and then saxon nobleman sir robin of loxley comes out to save the day so i won't go too much more into the plot because we don't really need to we kind of it's got a lot of the elements that we know about so i'm just going to kind of talk about the film as it was it was a massive success in almost every single way and is still lauded today um, it ranks very highly on sort of the afi's like greatest American Films list and I think it's been filed away for preservation due to its importance yeah. um, it's splendid and is genuinely very entertaining I think the cast are perfect I think Errol is effortlessly charming he's a natural star uh, plus he has this really perfect movie laugh that he's developed <laughs> You might find it annoying, but you have to admire his no, talent no, no, for no,
0: no, producing no, no. the same laugh every time. No, no, I mean, I've been really patient. I've been patient, but the laugh, you're not going to try and put the <laughs> laugh... I mean, the laugh's... Oh, appalling!
2: But do, but you at least it represents the time and how acting was carried out and how the industry was working. Like, it fits in with the period. Fair enough. Um, Olivia de Havilland uh, is an excellent foil to Errol's bravado. She delivers sharp-witted retorts and put downs. I particularly enjoyed the one where she goes, "What can a Saxon hedge robber know about charm or ladies?" <laughs> uh, she's very strong, and I think she's
0: more than a prize or just a love interest. I mean, that's it. That is a fair point. To you know, yes. to be honest, you know, I mean, you know, what 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 could a Saxon anyway?
2: And, and we've got the great Claude Rains um, as a very villainous Prince John, who takes such delight in his evil acts. While obviously Basil Rathbone strikes his kind of dangerous poses and. Deliciously and powerfully and dastardly sets off on all these missions that he's going to do. Um, I, I thought, and you can kind of because it's Basil, Basil Rasputin. I've not said a single. <laughs> I've I not said a single word, but, right? Yeah. Um. I can picture him whispering his plots into John's ear, and it being very, it, well, a bit like the snake in the Disney version. Mm. I can really that see is. him being the most mischievous and kind of dastardly villain you could come up with the production design is absolutely tremendous uh there's lavish sets uh it's clearly brought to life um by the technicolor filmmaking uh and i think at the time that was still relatively important and new so it really gave the audience everything they wanted which is probably why it goes so heavily into the bright colors right it's very the colors are amazing i mean the colors are absolutely astounding it was There are all these huge sets, and they're packed with extras and animals, mountains of food, uh, fantastic stunts and fight sequences. Um, The final sword battle is very impressive. I thought it was far more enjoyable than the sword fight at the end of the Kevin Costner 1991 version. Peshaw is all I have to say at this point. I would
1: have to agree with the Peshaw.
2: Well, I was going to say, as David might say, this film has left me both swashed and buckled. Uh, I did want to note that I really enjoyed the stunt where he's holding onto the the rope and he cuts it to drop the gate and then flies up to land on the ledge above. It's so clearly happening and is real and there's no safety. Uh, It's remarkable. The score was um, made by an opera composer... Eric Wolfgang Korngold no relation to me Um, he's wonderfully romantic Uh, it's wonderful not he is it's wonderfully (laughs) romantic and sweeping and from the first moment it kind of perfectly pulls you in and lets you know what you're going to get he won an Oscar for the score and due to his influential early film scores he's often considered as one of the founders of film music reshaping the industry up until now I think he was definitely one of the biggest and most prolific kind of composers in the real world who then went in to do scores for cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was also worth noting that I thought the film was very funny, very entertaining and charming. I, I enjoyed The Sheriff of Nottingham when uh, Prince John says to him, have you tried to stop him? And he goes, yes, but I couldn't find him. <laughs> and I, I, I thought that, that Bess was this scene stealer who arrives quite late in the movie, starts churning up the scenery. There's this... the. The back and forth between Robin and Will Scarlet when Robin's talking about how wonderful it is to live in and like, sleep in nature and Will's always like
0: but an owl hooted in my ear. <laughs>
2: I, it's not for everyone but I I really enjoyed it. I thought it was quite funny. I could kind of I can see the progression of how this was being delivered as theatrical plays for everybody and I thought it was really really entertaining. I will ask your opinions before I say a bad word about it. Glenn what did you think? Hey, Glenn
1: um, so, yeah, the you're right. The Errol Flynn one, it, it's beautiful, especially when you consider that it's over 80 years old now. Um, the Errol Flynn one is responsible for a couple, like, historical inaccuracies that make me cringe. But aside from that, the movie itself, it's it's definitely, I would say, the second best Robin Hood, and you can't deny that it's the most influential because that's the one that paved the way for... All of the 20th century and 21st century now reincarnations of the character. What are those couple of historical inaccuracies that make you cringe, Glenn? Uh, well, let's see. The first one is he's supposed to be a Saxon knight who's the best archer in the land, so that already makes no sense. Uh huh. Clear point. Um, he also carries his arrows on his back, which makes even less sense because you wouldn't do that if you were in a fight, because you'd be costing yourself precious seconds grabbing arrows. They'd be on your head. Oh. Um, but that's, I mean, you know, that's really minor yeah. in those the thing, but it's quite... it one of those things that bugs me.
0: Okay, well, I, I'm, we're getting the measure of you now, Glenn, because, you know, those, those are sort of the level of inaccuracies that probably wouldn't even register with me, I must admit. You're a stage above us, so I'm impressed with that. Glenn, just out of interest, uh, he uses black arrows in the movie, but I haven't yet to notice
2: that in other versions is that just in this one or does that exist other places in the myth as well
1: well I mean historically he would use um, ash tree arrows so I'm not sure if those would be black or not I my understanding is that they used those at Warner Brothers because they picked up better on the film
0: right, makes sense because I mean ash wouldn't be black even though you make ash because I thought it was interesting
2: that he seemed to use black arrows at certain times to send a message impressive as if he was like something evil has happened i need to fix this i'm going to send you a black arrow so you know
0: interesting that's the advanced course i'd have said
2: yeah
1: I'll, i'll be honest i don't know if any i know messages through arrows have been a part of the story i don't know that they've ever been you know painted black or whatever to show like oh something big's about to happen uh that that would be something worth looking into on my end.
0: It's so like the black spot from Treasure Island. Indeed, or indeed. Message, yeah. to you, sir. Concord, sweet Concord.
1: Anyway, um,
0: so yes, I would I mean, I would agree with some of that. Uh, the thing, actually, that you picked up on, which I think has most resonance, is that idea of the theatrical play. And you can imagine this being... You know, not history as, as dry, accurate facts. They wouldn't have had the arguments back then about that, that had just said, here is this great story. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing you could see happening in a... Lord's hall with the bard singing, you know, or or enacting it out. Um, but Charlie, it really hasn't aged well, has it? I mean, you—if they made this now, you'd—you'd you'd, you'd open a vein. There's an unacceptable use of wimples. There are wimples all over the place, and you know, one wimple is one wimple too many. Um, the laughter is agonising. <laughs> yes, I mean, <laughs> what's his name, Alan Dale? I mean, yes. you know, just needs to be shot now. You know, no questions asked.
1: It's just unwatchable. You could, you could make the argument that any Robin Hood movie made is very much a victim of its time. They don't age well. Uh,
0: the, yes, Robin Hood is so... Why is it so successful as a trope? And it's so successful because these factors are infinitely adaptable to the time. So, yes, I mean, I withdraw most. Obviously, you know, it's, it's fantastic, it's colourful, big sets, it's ambitious. As you said, it defined the sort of genre... Uh, But I did find it agonising.
2: I think for modern audiences, the kind of the iconography
0: of Robin Hood comes from this depiction. He seems to follow very closely Walter Scott. So the Silver Arrow, all of those tricks, the Saxon versus Norman thing was a big Walter Scott thing. It felt like this was the thing that I heard about, certainly from Walter Scott. This is the thing I heard about when I read all those Ladybird books when I was a lad. You're absolutely right. They were all the Errol Flynn version. I would thought that Errol had picked it up from Walter, but... You're, you're thinking it's probably the other way Well, out. even if he did I think I mean it's the first time it's really brought to life yeah. visually and then once Very you nice, see yeah. it they kind of combine yes. it and that's what it looks like from now on yes yeah, so I don't have to struggle at all to say right this is the myth of Robin Hood great okay so we like it you two like it a load I, I'm a bit more cynical because I, cause of I the thought, thought Will Scarlet
2: was terrible he just well, follows around and yeah. everything it's almost like Sir Robin from the Holy Grail and he's just like the, the <laughs> musician who follows behind him Terrible.
1: You run into that problem with a lot of the movies because it is meant to be an ensemble cast. It's very hard to do the, each character justice. And unfortunately, Will Scarlet or much the Miller Son are usually the ones yeah. that either get severed entirely or just neglected. Yeah. Um, I will say one last quick thing about the 1938 Robin Hood movie. That is the one that made the, the Steal from the Rich and Give to the Poor because it did so well with that theme, they continued that through the communist scare, which maybe doesn't mean a lot to very many people, but I think that's fascinating because that's essentially communism. You know, that's Bolshevikism to a T. Like, we're going to take the rich people's stuff and give it to the poor people. And the fact that that trope survived McCarthyism to me is worth something of an academic look.
0: That's That's very interesting. Very interesting. Anything else you'd want to add before we move on?
2: The only thing I was going to say is when I went back and rewatched it, because I hadn't seen it in so long, m- the newer movies had made me think more about the Sheriff of Nottingham. Probably it's just mm. the Kevin Costner version and Alan Rickman. So I was. It, I had to re kind of figure out what was going on because Gisborne was obviously the main villain. But then through my research, obviously, I, I learned that he's been around for a really long time in the stories. Am I correct, Glenn, that he maybe could be traced back to appear at roughly the same time as Nottingham, if not even before?
1: Guy, he was slightly after the sheriff was established as the main villain, but Guy was always brought into the story to be more of a direct nemesis. So, like, the sheriff was supposed to be more of the overarching big bad, and Guy was supposed to be, like, the first tier big bad.
0: Interesting. Okay, doke shall we move on to... Obviously the best of the Robin Hood oeuvre. Yeah, I'm ready. OK, so, why this movie? I'm going to take you back. Imagine you're in Maidenhead. Maidenhead, Glen is a little suburban town outside London, a sort of feeder town. Why London. would I be in Maidenhead? You're in Maidenhead. OK. okay. Two young lovers are sitting in a theatre in Maidenhead, watching, for the first time, Robin Hood, Prince of Thebes, with Kevin Costner. They're loving it, they're watching it, you know, very much in love, very much in love. There's the bit where the Celts invade, Robin is away, and the Celts, evil Celts, one of whom was actually in an advert for Quick Fit at the time, but never mind, (laughs) the Celts arrived and they charge down and they're killing everybody in the forest. And then, just when you think it's all terrible and they're all going to die, Robin Hood comes, swings in and saves the day and the young lovers threw their hands in the air and said, hurrah, and then (laughs) realised where they were. And that is why I'm choosing this Robin Hood. Because the young lovers, you will not be surprised to learn, were Jane and I, and we were transported by this movie. And when I looked back at some of the reviews, I thought, are we thinking about the same movie? I cannot understand. So there's one here which said, A mess. A big, long, joyless reconstruction of Robin Hood legend that comes out firmly for civil rights, feminism, religious freedom and economic opportunity for all. Well, first of all, joyless. We oh, were in heaven. Like, good things to me. And secondly, other things, yes, exactly sound all jolly good while you're complaining it, it about that. It is quite long, though. They they do have a point.
1: It is quite long. Anyway, well, so that is... Kevin Costner movie in the <laughs> 90s. Kevin <laughs> Costner was known as the four-hour movie man up until about 2002.
0: That is true. I mean, he could have done Dances with Robin, couldn't he? And then where would we have been? <laughs> you know. Anyway, so that's one reason I chose that. I've only gotten to the choosing bit. Sorry, I do talk a lot. So... Jane, David, Maidenhead, because I love it, because it's got the greatest or one of the greatest comic performances of all time within it. And because although they don't, people will not admit it publicly. Everybody in the Western world loves it. They say they don't. They write bad things about it. They talk about Kevin in his his accent. But if you get them in a small room and ply them with alcohol, they will tell you (laughs) this is their favourite Robin Hood.
1: Really quick, about the accent, can we just address the fact that nobody has any idea what the English accent would have been during the time that Robin Hood takes place in?
0: Indeed, and it may well be that the vocabulary of the Americans is a good deal closer to the vocabulary of the English at the time, because English vocabulary has moved a lot more than American because of their contact with Europe.
1: Yeah, that's I, there's the whole thing that Shakespearean actors, they didn't say autumn, they said fall, and they exactly. would have sounded more like Americans. So I, I'm wondering what they would have sounded like in Nottingham. But anyways, continue.
0: Indeed. So I, I like you, Glenn, I banish any worries about Kev's accent. As far as I can say, it was never a problem for me. So, directed by somebody called Kevin Redhalls, who I'd never heard of... He made Waterworld! Did he? Oh, dear. OK, uh, by by people I'd never heard of... But there's a great song, isn't there? Everything I do, I do it for... I mean, you know, I mean, come on. You know, what more do you need? Brian, who apparently... Suddenly very hot in this (laughs) shirt. My, oh, my. It's getting a bit steamy, Glenn, in here. We might have to call you back. Uh, Yeah, just, just great stuff. There's a lot of really good actors in it. It has Brian Blessed. Brian Blessed! There is no bad movie with Brian Blessed in. Is that not true? You cannot make a bad Ryan movie. Ryan is a phenomenal talent. He is Blackadder is all I have. Ah, oh, exactly. What else? What else do you need? Very quickly, the um, the story is has got a lot of the tropes of Robin Hood, but also it's got some other things that Robin Hood didn't have or as added. So Robin is away in the Holy Land. He's estranged from his father. He cut his father 's lands of loxley he 's a sort of minor nobleman, and his lands are taken away from him and his father is killed he comes back he 's sad about not being reconciled. He ends up in the forest because he doesn 't like that and he makes trouble um, there is Marion is the embroiled local uh, lady running a, a manor um, she 's under pressure. Those, um, and the evil sheriff of Nottingham is trying to gather money for King John, and his mum is a witch, and I think they're kind of trying to make him king or something, and there's a nasty cleric in it who tries to marry poor old Marion. It, this is not witch, making a lot of sense, is not it? it? Is but the you witch know what Morgana? I mean. The myth, which is called Morgana, but there's no... I mean, only because I think they're trying to okay. throw a link yes. to Arthur. There's no real link ever between these two. She is Geraldine McKeown, actually. was quite interesting. So she's not being Marple, and she's decided to be a witch. <laughs> actually, I have to say, I think the witch bit was the worst thing in it. So I was trying to eat my lunch when she spits the, into the blood. Oh, that's gross. <laughs> With the sound of the nails. Yeah. And the, oh, that's that's funny. So why, as a film... Great theme tune. Morgan Freeman, this is what made him great, wasn't it? You know, who would have heard of Morgan Freeman before Robin Hood?
1: That's fair. I mean... Is it, actually? To me, anything Morgan Freeman does is already worth, like, an asterisk. Like, oop, that's worth a rewatch.
0: Absolutely right. And he was fantastic in this. He was everything you wanted him to be uh, in terms of that character. It's swashbuckling, there are arrows all over the place. It's a fantastic bit where Kev shoots two arrows or something and he takes the, you know, with his teeth, he rips the feathers off at half side and he shoots it and they go in two directions. I do, I do keep wondering, if he keeps ripping the feathers off, why did he put them on in the first place? Well, no, because he wants to do two and they oh, want to okay. go different directions. I see. And then there's the one where you've got the arrow coming straight towards you. And it's, and it's like, on fire? And it's on fire. God, oh, that's so good. But did you not wonder why... He (laughs) fires the first arrow, and he can't split the rope. Is that that right? So he has
2: to fire two arrows.
0: This is the greatest archer of all time. Yeah. Oh, picky, Mr. Picky.
1: Um, Well, I mean, to be fair, you know, shooting a rope in two pieces with an arrow is not easy.
0: No. Yeah, right, Mr.
1: Mm. (laughs) Hmm. And greatest archer of all time, I mean, that doesn't necessarily mean that he could, you know, have pinpoint accuracy. That just means that he didn't miss often.
0: Good point, Glenn, good point. I mean, it's not really a quibble. I think I'm just...
2: They'll show him splitting an arrow earlier right. on, which is designed to be like uh, almost no, the most no. perfect shot. So then when he has to save the day and young Wolf... He's nervous, is, he's nervous. he's hanging, he just catches the rope, just a little bit.
0: It, and I was like, I thought it might slowly break, but he Tension. barely touches it. Tension, Wolf, Tension. Marion is properly romantic, and she's great. It's got an edge of patriotism around it without being the sort of rather overblown thing of the 1938 movie. And then we come to Alan. We come to Alan Rickman and... Shut up, you twit. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to gouge out your heart with a spoon. Cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans. No more merciful beheadings. And call off Christmas. Superb stuff. (laughs) You upstairs. You, ten minutes. Oh, I mean, it's just you know, a bravura performance, loved it. So, Little John was great. So, there's humour throughout the thing. Little John in the castle scene jumps, smacks a few guards around, sits next to his wife. His wife said, Hello, my lover. I mean, it's just, you know, it's full of joy and love and all the rest of it. As a historical record, uh, close to the myth, it's got the social justice, Rob feeds Rich thing in spades. It's got Richard versus John. Interesting, of course, most rebel legends, are essentially very conservative in nature. So, um, although we don't like to make them that way now, we want them to be radical. In fact, back in the day, they are about the re-establishment of social order, not the overturn of it. The people that are fought against are people who are doing something different. And in a sense, it's, this is the way this is. The baddies are people who are overturning the right way of things, which is that Robin has his lands and that Richard is the king and so on. The Men Are Merry, in spades. A bit miserable to begin with. Robin comes and makes them merry, which is great. Anti-clericalism is a, an old trope that reappears because you've got the fat clergyman. And the anticlericalism, as I understand it, always used to be against upper churchmen. And so you have the friar, who, of course, is a mendicant. And he's friar tuck, and he's, he's a good guy. Um, little John, quarterstaffs, fantastic. And it's really well done. Anyway... Um, there are newer tropes, so there's the Crusades and the Zine, which I think is relatively new. We've got Will Scarlet, which is a, probably one of the weaker bits in it, and you know, him being the illegitimate brother. Although it, it adds a little bit of, of personal story, which is very often often absent. You know, Robin is often a rather cardboard cutout character. At least he's got fam- family. The Witch, and it's I thought, Christian Slater. That is yeah. Christian Slater. Who is Christian Slater? Uh, he's a relatively famous actor. Has he done, what else has he done?
1: Oh, oh! I, I thought you were asking in the movie. I was like, he was Will. Uh, yeah. Christian Slater was in, um, The Heather's. Okay, uh, he's he's usually a bad guy. He's in Archer now a lot. Um, right. I don't know. I can't really think of anything huge that he's okay. done. But he's just he's got that like cadence.
0: Right. Okay. Right. Never heard of him. So, um, <laughs> I love Kevin's eighties scarf and his bouffant hair. hair. Yeah, yeah. Love that. It's actually delightful. The witch, I think, is a bit bit of a rubbish bit. But anyway, there you go. So there you go. And why would I recommend anybody go and see this film? Because it is a hoot from start to finish.
1: Mm. I rest. Comments. That's a good case. Thank you. First of all, you, Kevin Costner is my surrogate father, so I will always defend this movie. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, you're quite right, Glenn. You know. Um, and then, really quick, I was just looking it up while I was curious. So the movie made, according to Wikipedia, three hundred and ninety point five million in nineteen ninety one. Which Limey. today would translate to over seven hundred million.
0: So that's all right then, is it?
1: So yeah, he did pretty well on a forty-eight million dollar budget, and I I think the cinematography for nineteen ninety-one is amazing.
0: Right, fantastic. So you're all in favor, Wolf? I, fi- I feel I feel there's some grit in the in the oyster that is the history of Technicolor here. No, I have some I have some interesting things to say. Okay, it should be clear, and I've already
2: mentioned this once. Oh, by the way, we'll be the judge of that. Okay. <laughs> um. <laughs> This film will always be in my mind because it was the first and potentially only time I have ever seen a character called Wolf, other than the one from the yeah. TV show *Gladiators*, Good in a movie. And as a kid, huh? noticing that sort of when I was, I can clearly remember watching it sort of around sort of six years old maybe, with like all the family, seeing that connection. That was the first time, and I was like, my ears pricked up. I was like. Crazy. Crazy. He did quite yeah. a lot. And it wasn't just mishearing. The little lad. Yeah. He's quite cute, isn't he? So, it's good. I always appreciate it for that. Uh, I think it's really fun. I have really fond memories of it. But I do think <laughs> with repeat viewing,
0: as you age, it does deteriorate. It gets a little bit better every time. Oh, it does have weak geography, I'll give you that. The geography is weak.
1: Well, well I'm... It, interestingly, this is the only one that I'm aware of that was actually filmed in England.
0: That was all right. Interesting. They do go to Nottingham via Hadrian's Wall is the problem. (laughs) I see. (laughs) Yeah,
1: they don't have a firm grasp on where things are. But to be fair, the sheriff of Nottingham wouldn't have been very concerned about Loxley seeing as Loxley isn't in Nottingham, so...
0: (laughs) okay, fair point. Anyway, well... But wasn't that because their boat just washes up and they don't know where they are? No, it's because they want to film something in that beautiful dip in the um, uh, Hadrian's Wall. Lovely spot with with the tree. I think he does a lot of really good things. I think
2: humanizing uh, Robin way more than a lot of the others do. He actually has a character in this, which I will admit he doesn't really have in mm. the Errol Flynn version. Um, also, he's a little bit more fallible. He seems to make mistakes in this movie. There's real threat, and he actually might not make it through. He might not be the hero everybody wants him to be. Mm. He seems to make bad decisions, and the people do pay for his involvement in this. I think that's a really interesting idea to add that in, and I I think it works. Kevin Costner's very enjoyable. He's at the peak of his career. Some of the dialogue is a little bit clanky. Like, there's the the old blind man, and he goes, he fancies you, my lady. I'm blind, but some things I can still see. (laughs) And I'm like, come on, we already know. You're not just sitting in the boat, old blind man. We already know they fancy each other. You didn't need to tell us. He's just playing along, though. Um, Nottingham is obviously really great and I think that um, it's defined by Alan Rickman Mm. really more than anything he does kind of steal the show doesn't he and it's really kind of tongue in cheek and fun and it's hard to uh, complain about that it just can feel a little bit old now and and some of the changes to the story the more research I've done I don't know just seems interesting how they want to make Will Scarlet such an important character with his capturings and then his like kind of double crossings, and...
0: I must admit, the Will Scarlet thing, I thought well, was thought they, was...
1: They had to do that because they had gotten Christian Slater. He wasn't going to do a role where he didn't have meat. Right. Could and be. I understand you don't know who that is, but to people who do, they're like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> he, he is relatively
2: yeah, yeah. big, and he was getting bigger at the time. Yeah.
1: Um, um, and Alan Rickman, sorry, well, but Alan Rickman actually turned down the role twice until they said, you can do whatever you want. Did he? Is attitude. that right? How interesting. So all of that comedic timing and all yeah. the greatness was all him. Huh. The only point I was
2: going to make is that sometimes the makeup looks like it's holy grail, dirty makeup, <laughs> where <laughs> everybody looks like they just get wrapped up in a bunch of shawls and just have a little bit of mud shoved on their face, and then
0: that's that's done. I just keep thinking about the old man. Yeah, well, I, mean, I keep thinking about his scarf. I mean, the scarf <laughs> did make Kevin look as though he'd just come out of an 80s disco. I mean, you know, he was sort of... It didn't look very authentic.
2: Yeah, uh, costumes-wise, yeah. because I guess we're going to come to this. So now we've had two movies. Which one has more accurate costumes? Because mm. one's very 90s, and then obviously one's yeah. very kind of
0: theatrical. Yeah, I mean, the theatrical one is, that you know... It's obviously... Actually, the only thing about the 1938 one is that in medieval movies, by and large, the colour is taken out of movies, which is... Very un- inaccurate when you're talking about the nobility. So wherever the nobility were gathered together, it would be a riot of colour, of all their penance, because it was all about show was nobility. So there is some veracity. I mean, not quite to that extent, the 1938 movie, but there is some veracity about that. A common inaccuracy is that people leech the colour from medieval movies. So...
2: Are we suggesting that in this version maybe Robin
0: chooses to kind of have like? Mottles? I wouldn't. I would not make costumes one of the triumphs of this movie. Okay. Certainly, when the Celt, the guy from the Quick Fit ad, advert, comes over the hill trying to make look like a Celt, they've got he's got some sort of furry hat on that really you just think, mm, okay,
1: you know. I think putting the Celts in this movie in general was the biggest error that they yes, made. Yes,
0: I think that was probably a faux pas. And it's and it. Uh, the witch tells him to do it in the first place. Mm. It's such a weird... It does actually pick up, funny enough, on a 17th century fear in England of the of armies being brought over from Ireland to support the king in the Civil War. And maybe they just picked up on that in some way. I don't know.
1: I'm not entirely sure. I feel like they were trying to do too many like obscure references to old myths because, you know, there is like little tiny references to like pagans in barnsdale forest so i i I, in my mind that's what they're doing but maybe that's just a coincidence that there's anything right
0: okay great we let it we one more thing super quick
2: points i was going to say i believe that morgan freeman's character the saracen what's interesting about his arrival is that i believe that there was a tv version that was made which introduced a very similar character and then the actual makers of this film thought that that was part of the myth because they'd seen that version. And that was partly how it was incorporated. And they used the same character name. And then they were told that it would be copyright because it wasn't a mythological, right. like a, a character that existed before. It was just for that version. So they had to change his, change name, his name from Nasir to, I think it's Nasim. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think that's just when we're talking about how myths carry forward. It's interesting that somebody saw one version and transposed various things from it and put it into this.
0: Some of the greatest things in the world come from incompetence.
2: And then the only other point I was going to add is, which I think is interesting because it led me to a fascinating Robin Hood movie, Sean Connery appears at the end as King
0: Richard. Are you going to talk about Robin and... Yes, I was going to mention Robin and Marion, where he plays... That is Robin a movie. Hood. That is a movie and a half. Have what, you seen that? Oh. No,
2: I haven't seen it. But what seemed oh,
0: that's a real movie. The,
2: the cast looks great. It's heartbreaking.
0: It's but
2: what's heartbreaking. what's interesting about that is I was reading how much it the movie represents Richard in a really negative light, and how Robin fights back against Richard. And it's one of the first kind of Robin Hood mm. movies to not play up to that mythology where Robin is kind of this natural servant who is it that
0: plays opposite connery in there is it oh it's uh audrey hepburn audrey hepburn that is a terrible movie because you're waiting for the the bit you know the swashbuckling bit and the sheriff of nottingham and robin they're both tired and broken and old and they've been through all the things and they're kind of wearily trying to accept each other but robin cheats and Kills the sheriff by sort of, I mean, it, it's, oh. And then they wrote <laughs> and Juliet each other. I mean, it's agony, it really is. Anyway, I just thought it was interesting that he cameos at the end as King Richard, but he had previously yes. played Robin. It's a very good movie, what's we'll it? It's, it's painful. Okay, so we've wept up enough about Aud and, uh, Aud and Sean. And so we come to the third movie. Over to you, Glenn. <laughs>
1: All right, so then we've got the 2010 Robin Hood movie starring Russell Crowe, or as rusty as he's known to his friends. Is he, actually? No, that's just what I call him. Oh, okay. Um, But we're friends. He
0: speaks very highly of you, actually, Glenn.
1: Yeah, he he doesn't say a lot of nice things in general, but I'm one of the few. But uh, it was directed by Ridley Scott, same producers as Gladiator, and I think that is incredibly evident in this movie, that there's a lot of gladiator-like stealing from basically. Oh, and Kate Blanchett plays uh the female lead in this movie, which I thought was interesting because neither one of their stars are actually English. But yeah, so this movie is in some ways the most historically accurate movie, but in very small like details that they paid. You know, they actually do have Robin as a yeoman, which to me is great because that makes the most sense. Um, they have the accurate ish version of King Richard's death. They do a, you know, in the very short depiction of King Richard, they do what seems to me to be a fair one. Um, and on top of that, they, they weave into the movie, the bits of the 20th century legend that we all know, like, you know, the, the nobility and the Sheriff of Nottingham and all of that that everybody knows and identifies with while trying to keep it somewhat in accordance to the you know 11th, 12th, 13th century retellings of the story. My favorite bit actually has nothing to do with the plot. It's just where they're all eating, or uh, after they're done eating, they're all kind of like conversing, and there's rats that are clearing from the table. Because uh-huh. I'm like, that's brilliant. That would have happened, and nobody ever does that. But aside from that, I mean, the movie has, oh, it it also has Mark Addy in it, who is a great friar tuck, but it has a lot of problems, too. Mark
0: Mark Addy is a great friar tuck. So why did you choose the movie, Glenn?
1: Well, I chose it because you chose The Prince of Thieves and I didn't feel like watching the 1938
0: one. Is that right? Okay, so you didn't go for Men in Tights, though.
1: Well, yeah, I mean, Men in Tights is fine, but it doesn't bring anything new to the legend. It's just a spoof on Prince of Thieves. Okay. And uh, the, the Disney one, you get into a whole other side argument about what is Disney. And I think we're going to talk about that very briefly at the end, so I won't go too into it now.
0: Okay, so you but chose I mean, it Fort Demir.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, a, it is a fun film, but if you were to ask me to rate the movie on 1 to 10, film-wise, it's a 5. Um, historically accurate, it's maybe a 6.5.
0: God, you're already you're already marking. That's early. That's great. Um, okay, so you sound you're quite underwhelmed about it. I mean, you've already done.
1: Yeah, I, here's the the movie has it's it's entertaining and it's action packed and there's a lot of fun stuff that happens and a lot of nice little like, homages to the legend. But overall, the movie it's top heavy. They do too much. I think with. Um, Uh, Robin Longstride, that's Russell Crowe's character. Mm. They do too much with his daddy issues, and frankly, by the time they do the big reveal, I'm sick of it, and I'm over it. And I think that it's a good thing that his dad left him because he's a whiner.
0: (laughs) Uh, You know, it's interesting. So I'm going to kind of basically agree with you. I mean, the thing I really loved about this movie, and really loved about it, and therefore by the end, when I just wanted to open a vein, you know, felt slightly bitter about it, is because... The realism thing, the thing that Ridley Scott's tried to do to really put it in the time is fantastic. I love the Richard I. I love the interplay between Richard I and Robin, how it's sort of jokey, but then Robin goes too far. And so he gets put in the stocks. You know, it shows Richard as Richard would have been a big bluff, arrogant. There's no social equality here. Pretending Richard's this kindly bloke who loves the poor is just you know, doesn't dislike the poor, but they have to be in their right position. So I loved all of that. And the start, I remember thinking, looking yeah, think, at the start and thinking, think this is going to be brilliant. They
1: try to make Richard too much, too much like Henry V. So I do like that part of it. It's, It seems fair.
0: So, well, that's great. And then Kate Blanchett is brilliant. I think she's great. And that bit of the story is kind of good. Mark Strong is a fantastic villain. I love Mark Strong. Um But then it's so English radical stuff. So it's the same. It's trying to transpose this story into a 21st century context of social equality and social justice. It's, you know, it's your Mike Lee, Ken Loach, Ridley Scott tradition of... And it makes it pompous. It makes it over sort of portentous. They're trying to sell this big message about freedom and liberty and all the rest of it. And it's just too serious and the plot's a mess king john's good yes. though isn't he and isabella von Angouleme is rather gorgeous isn't she sorry king john i'm exactly, dribbling I slightly
1: <clears throat> king john to me is the bright spot of the movie yeah. as far as acting is concerned i mean uh kate blanchett did a great job and marion i think is probably the the best person from the you know the side that we're rooting for i think she's done the best but I think the guy that played King John knocked it out of the park. He he
0: did, was, yeah, was it Oscar good. Isaac? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. A, he was very good. He was very villainous, volatile, changeable. You felt genuinely panicked. William Hurt was all right as Marshall, presenting a solid, you know, good Marshall. It's just that yeah, the sum just, of the parts the is problem less than the is parts.
1: William the Marshal's always done as this great man who's yeah. enlightened beyond his time. And, you know, but yeah, it was a good part for that role. Yeah.
2: And am I right that Mark Strong's Sir Godfrey is essentially the guy of Gisborne? Because that's what he seemed to have said in interviews. Actually, I don't yeah, know. am not yeah.
1: sure why they didn't just make him guy of Gisborne, yeah. but yeah, yeah, that's. it took me a little while because when I was watching it, I was like, who the hell is this supposed to be?
2: Yeah, but, I agree. Yeah. And do you, I wonder, do you think they just changed his name because they're trying to build this mythology where they're altering Robin's identity a little bit and they're kind of changing all the characters just slightly to maybe make them more... I know real.
0: Yeah, maybe that's it, to sort of snap you out of just wanting to see the same old thing. That's an interesting thought, yeah.
1: And I mean, yeah, I don't know. maybe maybe there's some research that I'm unaware of that says guy wouldn't have been a name then, so they just changed it entirely. I think if anything, Ridley Scott was just too clever by half mm. for that.
0: It has kinda of got that, but I take Wolf's point that if you want to represent the Robin Hood myth. Actually, selling people a bit of a dummy and changing the name so they don't fit into the old pair of slippers that everybody knows is not a bad strategy, but then at the same time, since it, you can kind of
2: readapt Robin Hood as many times as you want, um it seems almost unnecessary like we could kind of keep a lot of these people like mm. as we understand them to be and still give the same depiction yeah. that you want also does anyone do we think that they would building up to possibly make another movie yeah, in the they
1: future? seem to be yeah. Yeah, there was supposed I think it was supposed to be one in the trilogy because that movie to me the biggest crime of the twenty ten Robin Hood is that it's it's an origin story and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But they should have marketed it more as an origin story. Because he's not actually doing the things that you associate with Robin Hood yet. It's more about how, you know, a returning yeoman from the Crusades becomes Robin of Loxley and then becomes Robin of Sherwood, essentially.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yes, and I think they were going to make... He was then going to be Robin, wasn't they? Yeah. Anything else you want to say about that movie? The, the main thing for me is uh, it's
2: too serious.
1: Yeah, it's too serious. It we, we, is very... Yeah, it's, they're trying too much to be Gladiator and Robin Hood doesn't need to be grim to be effective.
2: Yeah, exactly. And the more I've read about the way the story's been told for hundreds and hundreds of years is that it's there for kind of mass entertainment and it's a little bit light and everybody gets involved in it. It just seems a shame that this version is
0: so deadly serious all the time. Yeah, it's heavy, isn't it? Okay, I think that's great. So we're now going to come to the last bit, everybody. Well, no, we're not going to come to the last bit. The first bit we're going to do is we are going to rate these movies. First of all, we're going to rate them as a movie and then we are going to rate them... For their faithfulness to the myth. Okay? Okay, so we. Are might, we ready?
2: With, well, with yes. the myth rating one, we might need to refer slightly to Glenn yes. on this. Yeah, indeed, we might A little indeed.
0: bit. Glenn will pretend mm-hmm. that we're listening to you as the all authority. In fact, we'll. All right, fair enough. Right okay, so 1938, uh, the film as a film out of 10. Wolf. Eight. Glenn. Uh, seven. Oh come on. Okay, I'm gonna go six. Okay.
1: <laughs> so we're all in the same ballpark here.
0: Oh, yeah. I uh, just kinda thought of I was forced into it. It's a um, myth. Uh faithfulness to the myth. I a mean
1: three, maybe.
0: Interesting. Faithfulness it's, to the myth. Because
1: I was gonna go high on that. No, this one creates a lot of the myth that we associate oh, okay. with Robin Hood. So in that essence, yeah, absolutely. But as far as like sticking to the source material that had come out prior, it's, you know, it it goes all its own way. And that's great because you can do that with stories. And that's why, you know, something like Robin Hood lives on for an extra 80 years after it's been made into a movie is because they were able to tell their own story. Uh, But if you're assuming that the myth is what's already existed, then it it didn't follow it very closely at all.
0: So even when he take Walter into, into mind?
1: Yeah, I, I guess maybe I'll put that at maybe, okay, maybe a four then.
2: So, Glenn, a couple of quick side points. Do they, is there always a battle where Robin faces Little John on the river?
1: Uh, so, yeah, typically he does have to face off Little John. That's how he earns the respect and trust of the Merrymen. So, and that has existed
2: for quite a long time in the, in the myth.
1: Yeah, if it's not Little John, then it's somebody else. I, it's not you know. There's a couple depictions where they just sort of hit it off, and Little John sort of falls into place because Robin has battlefield uh, command. But even that is only because they have to face a foe together. So if it's not Little John, then you know it's uh, Huntsman or, or something along those lines. But more often than not, it's Little John over a river on a bridge.
2: Okay. And then, was there always an archery competition, or was that created in this film?
1: That was, I believe, actually created in the silent film, but that, that's a 20th century thing. I see. Um, and, I mean, you, there is the, the May Day competition, which is what it's referencing. Yeah. Which was during the you know Tudor and uh, uh, Victorian era, and that was as an homage to the myth of Robin Hood. So you could make that argument, but as far as the archery contest being part of the story, that's not a thing up until the 20th century.
0: Okay, so that doesn't
1: come from Walter Scott? No.
0: Okay. Uh, So you're saying four, and I think I'm going to have to fall in with... Yeah, I I think we follow follow Glenn's advice on this. Because Glenn knows what he's talking about, and we don't? (laughs) <laughs> on the on the quality of the movie, I'm gonna I'm gonna concede, go back up to a seven out of six. That's being a bit okay. mean, wasn't it? but I think it is it interesting in that we think it's accurate because it was so yes. influential. That's true. Fair point. Right. So Kevin, so this is me, uh, the Kevin Costner movie. So it's out of ten. Yeah. Yep. So I'm going to say around four hundred and thirty-two, four hundred and thirty-three. <laughs> What's the real so, score, David? That seems like a low ball <laughs> I don't know that you get better than this. I don't know. I mean, okay, it's not Lawrence Arabia, so we're going to have to go nine. It's fair. You're a only you, Wolf. You're a Nine. You're going to go for nine. Uh, Wolf. I, just, just. I would say go, what you think. Wolf. I would just, go with
2: a, Let it out. I would go with a seven. And that seven is because of <laughs> nostalgia and fond memories <laughs> and the fact that it's very enjoyable. OK, just give it the score you want to no, get. No, I'll give it a seven. I would give it a seven. I mean, you really wanted it to I mean, get two, didn't that you? That
1: is all no. fair, because if you were to show that movie now to you know somebody that never right. saw it, they'd probably be like, what is this? That
0: would be quite interesting, actually. We must do that. We must find somebody off the street. Let's go and, just go and nit- find somebody. Sit down, watch this movie. Get- they'd have to have not seen the movie, though. Yeah, that's true. Mm. OK, and... <laughs> myth wise glenn we're just going to look at you again here i think
1: so this one again probably around a four or five um i mean it it adheres to a lot of the myth established by um the you know errol young version or errol flynn version sorry i went to school with a kid named errol young <laughs> uh, so but he had nothing to do with robin hood
0: that's good to know um,
1: <laughs> yeah, uh, but it, it does adhere to a lot of what's been established prior in you know the film genre. So I'll give it you know two thumbs up for that. But again, as far as sticking to source material that predates Errol Flynn, it's a little all over the place. And based on the fact that I don't think anybody did any research before making this movie, right. anything that does you know make reference to or pay homage to something out of the myth i'm almost going to have to call a a lucky coincidence right
2: so do you you think we should actually mark it lower than the other one because of adding in the witch adding in the celts the seemingly reckless yeah there's a certain certain
1: recklessness the the witch though i'm because i can't be certain that it was a happy coincidence the Witch is somewhat of a tie to things that were mentioned in other Robin Hoods when it took place in Barnsdale. Okay. I mean, the Wall of Hadrian has nothing to do with, with Robin Hood, so I'm not going to count that for or against it other unless we're doing a geography score.
0: Yeah. Um, yes, geography score is very low, somewhere down in the minus 200s, you know.
1: And Robin coming back to a ruined home and a blind father, hmm. or blind father figure, I should say, isn't, you know, that is in there in various places. Oh, is that right? Okay. So Yeah, that's not something that they made up. That has existed before. Okay.
2: So when did it enter the myth that he went and fought in the Crusades? Because that arises more frequently now.
1: Yeah, that's more of, um, like, the the play telling so you know around the Elizabethan era into uh, the Stuarts is more when they decided that you know what is was obviously during King Richard's era because you know nobody ever said anything bad about King Richard so it was easy to make him somebody that you would root for when he was backing up a king that you'd love and especially during the Stuart era, anything that they could do to do a subtle dig at the Stuarts they would. Excellent. Well, which is fair, obviously.
0: Oh, well, hang on. Sorry, you're absolutely right. We haven't finished off the previous discussion about historical accuracy. You're saying four, five. Cool. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, plus two, really quick. You do have the thing where it has nothing to do with the story, but where uh, Morgan Freeman delivers a C section. Like, that is uh, an amazing bit of historical accuracy that has nothing to do with Robin Hood. So, like, little things like that are what make me keep it at right. even ish with Errol Flynn. Okay, next. Okay. Russell talk talk about Uh, Rusty Crow as a movie it's you know maybe a hard five pushing a six Um, mythology actually now that we are considering his story now that we're considering what I've given the other two I would say it's a six would be more fair six and a half maybe if you were feeling generous
0: (laughs) we're always feeling generous here in the shed Glenn Uh, (laughs) six and a half it is so film Wolf uh, I was probably gonna give it a six. okay. I'm gonna go along with the um I'm gonna go along with the six things. I love the realism at the beginning. It'll probably be a five. Okay, great. so look, we're gonna we've scored it all. that's great. and the winner is Kevin Costner. Woo that was only one result, wasn't there. What about the Disney movie movie very quickly? What do we all think of the Disney movie? Glenn
1: i I loved the Disney movie as a kid. That's what actually sparked my interest in Robin Hood later when i found out that they only made it about robin hood as a, a last ditch like hail mary uh, i was ama- i thought that was hilarious because they were originally going to make a quick you know kids movie that was playful about the uh, the trickster reynard no. who was you know french yeah. germanic trickster fox uh-huh. and then as they started to write the the screenplay and kind of develop it they were they realized that hitler had used reynard as uh, uh-huh. nazi propaganda and Disney did not want to be associated with that, so they decided Robin Hood right before they started doing the motion capture. Wolf?
0: Disney, your thoughts?
2: Uh, I think the main thing to talk about is the fact that Peter Ustinov as uh, oh, Peter Prince Houston, John yeah. is
0: absolutely We've incredible. The world has forgotten about Peter Ustinov. He used to love Peter Ustinov. He's we? such a mummy's boy, and he keeps sucking yeah, keep his thumb, thumb
2: yeah. and having these tantrums. <laughs>
0: uh,
2: it's... We it's just him, yeah. incredible.
1: And we loved him. For me, yeah, it was. That Carry on. Beautiful. No, I was going to say, that's a beautiful bit of the movie. It is. For me, it
0: was two things. I didn't see it as a kid. Um, so there are two things. I rather liked Alan O'Dale, the rooster, and is in Noddingham, And then he sings uh, Robin Hood and Little John and running through the forest, having such a good time with the sheriff's men. I love that bit. And then there's Jane's favourite joke, which is, Ooh, Ooh, your lady in waiting's waiting. She loves that. Don't know why. And then. <laughs> It was the first movie that my kiddies, when little, could turn on by themselves without me having to get up out of bed at 4.30 in the morning. So one morning we were lying in bed and I heard...
1: (laughs) We're listening to the whole thing. (laughs) He's just showing off that he can whistle.
0: And that was one of the happiest moments of my life because i did not have to get out of bed and look after the little buggers it was great mm. so uh, and a lesson on parenting for all <laughs> thank you david okay fantastic turn on that video and leave me alone so uh right so we've got some questions now who would you cast as robin hood glenn uh
1: did you guys ever watch the shameless in, in the uk yeah. version the one that played carl mm, don't know him uh, Elliot, I think his last name is Titensor. He's right. from Manchester. So, but I
0: right. So you go always, for
1: grit. Well, not necessarily. I mean, he had the, he could hit. You know, in that show, he was comic relief for years, and then he got kind of more real as it went on. So he showed that he could act. But I mean, I would just go for somebody that I felt could do both. You know, comic relief when needed and action, and wouldn't look ridiculous as an actor. Very
0: good,
2: Wolf. Okay, so I had a a couple of options, and none of them quite worked. I'm thinking about star power as well, so we have to make this as a movie. So I considered Ewan McGregor when he was younger. Mm,
0: Okay, nice choice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ewan
2: McGregor. And if I was was going to kind of think about making this film in the future, I would actually consider Tom Holland, who's playing Mm. the young Spider-Man at the moment, in sort of five to ten years, because he has this star presence... And he can probably do all the stunts, and you can no, you can work through all of that, and he 's very bankable,
1: I really think that 's too short I have no yeah, would... big problem with the hero being less than five eight I know it's a me thing, I know, but it <laughs> bugs me
2: okay he'd have to be much the middle. I just he thought he 'd be so merry right. I, his spider man right. is has got just the it, right saying. amount of like quips, right. and he 's really good when he 's in these fights, and if you 're going to make Robin kind of that classic. Merry Men type figure. I think Tom Holland could kind of do that. Alternatively, I guess the other one kind of kicking around, and maybe everybody'd say it is Tom Hiddleston might, uh-huh. yeah, might it'd be kind a bit of,
0: serious, though, wouldn't it? Could, yeah, yeah. Maybe okay. he's quite dry humor, so that, that yeah. could come across. I was going to go for Kenneth Williams, but maybe that would be a bit too camp. <laughs> All
1: right.
0: uh, I think he could make a bit more. We'll maybe go with John. <laughs> <laughs> but then, I mean, obviously, there are probably two obvious cause and neither of you mentioned one Tom Cruise because essentially Tom Cruise is brilliant in everything. And then mm. Chris Pratt, what about Chris Pratt?
1: Chris Pratt would actually be a really good huh? casting for huh? it. I um, did consider because it he's He's come out of nowhere as a big action star mm. as of late, and he's got the chops. but
0: OK, great. I would, I would
2: cast Rafe Fiennes as the Sheriff of Nottingham. <laughs> yes,
1: he could be very good. He'd be very really uh, sweary yes. Sheriff of Nottingham. Yes, he'd be very good. Ryan right. Atkinson will be the Sheriff of Nottingham in my version. Who, who would say? <laughs> Ryan
0: Atkinson. Ryan Atkinson. <laughs> That'd be very good, following the um, uh, Alan Rickman approach. Right, TV or cinema, you ask, Glenn? Better as TV yeah. or better as cinema? Cinema.
1: I think it works better as a as a TV show because I think it opens it up for more long form storytelling. When you when you have a movie, you, they always try to do too much. I mean, look at the the more recent one, the Taron Egerton one, which nobody saw. So yes, I hard to about it. But the fact that nobody saw it tells you all you need to know. Yeah. And you know, even if you go back to uh, twenty ten, Rusty Crowe's version, they they do too much. Yeah. I think the the BBC version with Jonas Armstrong, while incredibly corny and campy, but like that, I think was a much better medium to tell the story.
2: Both, yeah, I, I would agree. It's there seems to be so many different stories that when we say there's like new interpretations, sometimes they're just kind of different elements of the story being mm. brought to life, and it was being told over so many kind of generations in. All these different like iterations, and and I just think that maybe TV gives you that opportunity to explore the world and give all those that wealth of characters that kind of involvement that you would get. So it's probably quite
0: episodic. It suits that that medium. Yeah, Muslim, it must admit, it's got lots of stories within the story. I'm going to disagree with both of you and say it both is is either is it, possible because the film they've made very successful movies out of it because you can just <clears> sell it as a short you know play that type thing, or yeah, you can expand it and really go into it. I think it. The wonder of it is its longevity and its longevity is because the themes are as relevant now as they've ever been. Um and I think it works in either iterum. Okay. Vital this is Wolf's question, I think. What is vital to the myth? What what do you have to have in there if it's going to be a Robin Hood movie?
1: Um, well, I mean, you definitely have to have grade A archery. Um, and I think now, if you're going to do it in any time in our lifetime, he has to steal from the rich and give to the poor, regardless of the accuracy of that. But that's what people are going to see it and recognize as Robin Hood. Aside from that, I mean, you know, you definitely need to have Little John and Maiden Marion, but I think you could probably honestly axe a lot of the merry men and people wouldn't care.
0: Okay. Uh, incidentally, is it's just... Uh Texted me to say that we're missing a great Ireland England game. And I have to tell you, Glenn, that when I organised this, I was a fool because Wait, what, it's the what? Six Nations and it's Ireland versus England. I can't believe I'm doing. When does the game end? You know, a poxy two bit no good cotton picking podcast when England are playing Ireland <laughs> at rugby. When, when does it end? Well, I don't know. But you're. Well, well, let's hurry up, then. let's <laughs> hurry up then, David. Right, your, your go. Um, Vital to the myth. For me, I think.
1: So you don't m- have enough time to explain rugby to me. <laughs> No, no, we'll have to do another podcast in that, couple of hours.
2: <laughs> I think that you could get rid of the majority of the characters and it wouldn't really have a huge impact, especially because you could make a composite character out of some of the others. Um, I don't even think you necessarily have to have one particular villain. It doesn't have to be King John or Nottingham or Gisborne, but I do think that there should be one tyrannical ruler that he opposes. OK, he's got to be a tyrannical ruler.
0: OK, anything else? No, I, I think
1: we've okay. covered everything of great importance.
0: I would go arrows, rich man, poor man, merry men. I think those are your three elements. So you've got to have arrows. You don't think you've got to have arrows, Wolf?
2: No, I do. I just think that, like, we, we've seen enough versions mm. that... You could do it without the arrows. They've increasingly got him to use a bunch of different weapons, mm. so we wouldn't be too surprised if he could
0: wield something else. Hmm. Okay, interesting. Okay, uh, the next question was, what character would you be? Uh, I would be
2: Little John. Little
0: John. Why would you be Little John?
2: Because he has the most fun, but he also seems to have, like, Robin, someone's always trying to kill Robin. If Robin's there, they don't pay attention to Little John. I think Little John gets to have all of Robin's fun, but kind of doesn't have the same level of
1: threat.
0: Right, okay. Good choice,
1: Glenn. I would be... Alan Dale because he can sing, and I've never been able to sing.
0: Right, okay, hence why he didn't join me in singing the Disney song. Okay, Alan Dale, great, you I think. I would be fry Tuck, because he gets all the fun, I mean, he gets all the booze and all the nuts, you know, it's got to be fry
1: Tuck. All the Fryer nuts? Fryer Tuck's the first one to die, though, depending on the story. Oh,
0: okay, I didn't want I'm to glad tell you picked that. I'm you that, David. <laughs> uh, right, so, and then there was another question, we're, we're, basically, we wanted to know why do we think the
2: myth has developed okay. the way that it has. So I've obviously read some suggestions over time that maybe sort of at least during Tudor England, there was certain, there was a re-examining of Prince John, for example, whereby he was somewhat viewed as a Protestant martyr. Is that correct in in some sense that some people right. began to um kind of retrospectively reanalyze history Would kind of
1: figure i mean and you know richard yeah, became I mean, that's the, the yes. way of historians
2: so i just thought that it's interesting kind of over time different time periods we have different views about um what certain characters are doing at the time and if you set it during that period um you're going to maybe align with different elements or you're going to want to change it so that maybe you aren't supporting king richard i find it interesting that we support king richard in almost all of these versions yes. They're, they're always defending
0: the poor, but they're like, yeah, it's absolutely fine that yeah, King Richard is, is off on his third crusade. Which I think that is why, in the Ridley Scott thing, why they changed that. Because actually they said there, this Richard first guy, okay, they didn't make him out to be a villain. But they showed him as, you know, he's a king, very privileged, you know, all the rest of it. They put that in context in ways that in other movies they don't.
1: Yeah, I mean, that one, that was definitely a big part of what they were trying to establish, that and the fact that, what, was he king for ten years and he spent less than one of them in England?
0: Which I always find an annoying objection to Richard I. Richard I was uh, the, the head of an empire, the of Ange- 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 Empire. The problems were on his borders with France, not in Nottingham, and he was a hero to Christendom, which was the thing with which he identified himself, and therefore he went on crusade. Anyway, sorry, you just touched a the nerve there, Glenn.
1: No, I, I've, I've always agreed with your defence, but yeah, that doesn't mean that he was a good king. No. It mean, you know, doesn't mean he was a, a bad argument, king either. But just because somebody has problems abroad that they're dealing with, you know, he did let England fall into misrule and he consistently forgave his brother for said misrule.
0: Well, did he let it fall into misrule? I mean, the problems in Richard's reign are relatively minor, and he has some. Ex- I mean,
1: he came back to a broke England twice, and then he—they had to raise a huge ransom to get him out of uh, German prisons.
0: Well, the ransom thing, fair enough, but then that wasn't
1: his fault. Isn't that what we call victim blaming these days? I suppose, but is he really the victim when he's the one that decided to go gallivant around the world? He,
0: he was slightly—he could be accused of being slightly unwise in having gone that way. But look at the quick game of Canterbury, for example. Here is a man with an extremely sensible approach to Anglo-Scottish relationships, which a lot of his uh, following kings would have done very well to take part of. Fair. Yeah. OK. I think we're going to have to draw it to a close. I mean, I think... I, I would agree that I would say that it's the thing we've already said, that it's such a plastic myth that you can update as you go, and that's why it survived you know
1: i I will say really quickly, though, when you're saying why did the myth survive um i don't I, I think that's kind of one of the crapshoots of history is that it did because it all it really has depicted in its essence is somebody rebelling against something, whether it's yeah. you know conquerors, invaders, tyrannical rule. And we mentioned earlier Hareward, so he wasn't the first myth to do that, but he's definitely one of two that has survived through the ages, and I think some of that might just be due to the fact that uh, Northumbrians, specifically people in Northern England, latched onto it early on because it was always kind of considered the wild land, so a wild woodsman was something that they could really relate to, and I think that is a big reason why it survived into the playwright era. Okay.
0: Thank you very much, everybody. We must stop, but I think I'm glad we've come up with the right conclusion, which is Kevin is great. In brief. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. All right.
1: Thank you. Everybody have a great rest of your day and uh, go England. Yes, go England. We won, by the way.
0: Anyway, this is me later, of course, filling you in on the response to Papillon. And I have to say, it was pretty popular. More than I thought it would be, actually. 68% of you loved it, and not many hated it. Though I once again forgot to close the option on Facebook that allows people to add their own poll options, and so you, of course, went and added loads of options. What is it about the culture of rebellion and disobedience? Anyway, Jeff added, I saw it when I was a nipper but can't remember a gosh darn thing about it and watch it again. An opinion which was super popular. I'll put you all down for the not seen but interested category just to demonstrate that crime doesn't pay. Though, hopefully, Papillon already taught that anyway. Memories for those of you who did not rush out immediately to watch it again, a tiny proportion, obviously, was sometimes a bit vague. So Jennifer remembered a lot of sweat, which is, you know, uh, reasonably accurate, actually. Rowena remembers being impressed by Steve McQueen. There's a cue, Rowena, and we don't jump cues in Blighty. In the queue already, there was Claire, who, apart from being a bit jaded about the book has had the distinction of having lectured Steve about wearing the right footwear. Impressive. Jonathan had the courage to remind me of the key thing about the book, at least, which was where they hid the money. We say sort of gloss over in the film, thankfully. There was a general strand of fascination by the environment. Rex had been there, and it sounds fantastic, though Rex and Steve also raised that rather critical point. Did Charriere just make the whole thing up? I'm bound to say that I think it's entirely possible doesn't strike me as the most reliable bloke. Anyway, overall, the impression I got from everybody was one of qualified enjoyment, but without anybody going really potty. So no one put it in their top 10 history movies, for example. Last laugh to Don, though. Wolf and I keep debating whether or not we should have plot spoilers, and usually we do, you know. Don tells me that he sat down to watch it with a mate who started our proceedings by announcing he escapes. Ah, so good. Anyway, it was fun. Thanks to everyone who commented and we'll back to the studio, I suppose. Okay, that's it. We did this at the end just for a change of air and scenery. I really hope you enjoyed Robin Hood episode. It was great fun to do and we'll hear your feedback. Do come and give your feedback because I'd really love to hear it. Plus the answers to all those questions, of course. And then in two weeks' time, we're back again with The Lost City of Zed. So, see you all on Facebook and see you all in a couple of weeks' time. Bye. Are you not entertained?